you're gonna have to do weird shit. Fall in love with your idiosyncrasies. I think everybody who is special does that. I've been able to work with a lot of people in the game and a lot of them are so weird. They are weird. To be good, to great, or exceptional at what you do, there are certain things that you are gonna have to do that are absolutely weird but work for you. Fall in love with it. And that's your design practice, right? That's your, that's your special swoosh. Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspect of running, and this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Super Coffee, the healthy, delicious alternative to sugary coffee drinks. Super Coffee was recently named the fastest growing food and beverage brand in America by Inc. Magazine, and after tasting a bunch of their flavors, I can see why. Their coffees contain zero sugar, and many of them contain 10 grams of plant-based protein. They're growing in popularity in the running community, and I'm excited to share a special discount with you. They offer a 60-day money-back guarantee, meaning if you don't love it, you get your money back, no questions asked. Grab 15% online with the code FTLR or look for them nationwide in 25,000 stores like Target, Whole Foods, Walmart, Kroger, and CVS. Cheers. Welcome back. I have Joe Holder joining me on the podcast today. Joe, thanks so much for taking some time to chat. Yeah, for sure, Jay. Pleasure to be here. Um, Yeah, excited to talk it up. For sure. So first question for those who might not know you, who is, uh, who is Joe? <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm Joe Holder. I'm, I'm a founder of uh, what's called the Ocho System, which is basically kind of like my health and wellness company. It's more so, as, I suppose, a design studio. I like to think about it in that way. Um, yeah, I'm a Nike master trainer. I'm also a run coach. I'm a consultant and I'm a writer. So I guess I'm a, I don't know, I guess I'm a polymath of, of sorts. So yeah, I'm just out here trying to use my skill set and apply it to as many different areas as possible. Awesome. Have you, have you been into health and fitness your whole life or has it been, um, has that been something more as an adult that you've, uh, you've fallen into? Uh, pretty much my whole life. Uh, I grew up, you know, in an active household, you know, my, we were, I was involved in track from a very young age and one of seven kids, track, football, basketball. Uh, yeah, my earliest memories are playing football and then running, running track and playing basketball you know, in the backyard with all the kids on the block, our backyard was kind of a watering hole. So, yeah, and then I eventually played football in college at University of Pennsylvania. And now I'm just trying to, I try to say I'm an athlete for health. And, you know, I push myself a little bit sometimes. But, yeah, I've just been active my whole life, and I'm trying to continue that moving forward. Nice. Um, so how how was the transition from track to football back to um, you've been doing some marathons and, and longer distance stuff lately. Yeah. So what's, what's been the, uh, what's been sort of your genesis as a, as a runner and as an athlete? Yeah. I mean, running growing up was definitely in the shorter distances, uh, that eventually graduated up to the mile. And when I high jumped, I was a pretty good high jump. I went to a junior Olympics coming up for high jump. Um, but really was a repeated sprint athlete. So, you know, playing basketball, playing football, that type of thing. Uh, but Post-college, you know, I got into being more so 
of a, of a run coach, but at the same time taking kind of a sport agnostic approach to it, looking at, you know, running as a fundamental athletic uh, pursuit. So with that, uh, I was coaching a lot of people, but specifically for the work Nike was doing in New York with their run clubs and things of that nature. I was coaching people for marathons, but I had never run one. And, you know, even though I was coaching people for it, I, a part of me just wanted to see what it was like to run a marathon. Another part of me just kind of wanted to, you know, I think quell any doubts that I could do a marathon and do it well. But I always <laughs> like applying kind of, you know, empirical strategies to my body to see what works, what doesn't work, to try to fail, to try to succeed. I've succeeded. I've run three marathons or four. Um, they're hard. They're hard for sure. But like anything, there's a method to the madness, I guess. I'm not sure if I'll keep running them, but you can't take away from me that I've done it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I, I ran my first for a similar reason. Um, I was working for a company that um, most of our customers are marathoners, and they were asking me, how do you use this product for marathoning? Or for running, it was uh, spirulina algae, and yeah. um, I was like, I don't know, I might as well run one. And then uh, the Boston Marathon bombings happened, and sort of expedited uh, my yeah. desire to uh, to get out and run in Boston. Um, and I think that that um, empirical data and, and sort of mixing science with your own applied experience is um, is fascinating. I've enjoyed watching how. Um, how your coaching has changed and evolved and um, the type of coaching and the type of nutritional guidance that, that you suggest and support um, as a mix of here's what works for me and here's what the data says. So make your own decisions, which is um, I think the most important way to do it. Yeah. I mean, the industry is funny right now, right? You see a lot of segmented thoughts where you have people who say, Oh, because this works for me, and here's some stuff that the data says everything else is wrong, right? Like right. more power to them, but you know, whatever, uh, the carnivore guy, the doctor, I can't remember his name right now. I guess he's a little tired, but the, uh, what's his name? Not Saladino. Um, whatever, but the carnivore MD, he was recently on Joe Rogan, but you know, the stuff he puts on Twitter, you have Dr. Barry, who's super into ketosis. You have, you know, you have Gregor, you have all these other people that are just like, you know, it's my way or the highway, but it's just like, hold on. Like, you, there's so much we don't know. There's so much we know that is super distinct to each relative population. Environment also does matter. It's like, why can't we just have nuanced discussions and approaches? Like, here's what works for me and why. Also, here's what might work for you and why. But this is also why I don't do those things and I do why it is that I do. But I guess it doesn't sell. I guess it doesn't, it's not inflammatory in a non, you know, food context. So it doesn't, <laughs> hook you the harder you have to make people think instead of being like (laughs) just a simple ideologue you know it's you know it's not as uh i guess you won't be as successful but you know i've I've found a little niche and you know i'm gonna keep just just trying to figure that out yeah i mean your your niche is is fascinating right you're you're you follow mostly plant-based approach but you're you say that that's not necessary or required for everyone and i think that as you said like that is the least inflammatory way to do it. Again, food pun not intended. Um, and because you're not ruffling anyone's feathers with the statements you're making, uh, it's not as you know sexy or, or buzzworthy because you're not saying eat meat and just meat and salt and water or like eat this or eat that. It's like this is working and it's common sense. 
I feel good. The data supports this. Um, you might not feel good eating this way. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I think as more stuff comes out in the microbiome, I think as more stuff comes out on epigenetics, but even before you get so deep into that, it's just like, hold up. Like we're pulled everywhere except from ourselves, right? Like we're every time, like whether it be social media, whether it be the computer, whether it be work, like you forget how you feel and then you're hit with so much information and then you don't know where to move. And then you're not actually listening to what your body is telling, nor are you, you know, getting more data, whether it be through whatever inside tracker, whether it be through your own blood tests, whether it be through, you know, a VO2 max test. It's like, how is my body responding to what it is that I actually do? So my philosophy is pretty simple. I don't believe there's anything as a healthy food. I think health is an end result. Health is health, health is the result of the wellness strategies that you put into place and your personal kind of diet strategies. So for some people, eating more meat may be beneficial. For some people, eating more plants and plant-based foods may be even more beneficial. For some people, not eating th- certain things would be more beneficial. And that's why I think everyone should do an elimination diet, at least short term in their life, just to understand how do I actually feel when I eat? So um, I think because it takes longer, like this thought process probably took me a full, you know, I was born in it and it probably took me a full eight to 10 years to get there on my own. So people don't want to play this. People don't want to deal with that. That's such a long time, you know, it's like. It's one, a quick answer, right? Yeah. Everybody wants a quick answer. So where did your, for those who don't follow Joe on, on Instagram, highly recommend it. Um, he mixes, a, a um, his own experience and his own training with coaching and what his clients are, are seeing and experimenting with, um, where did your desire or passion for helping others, when did that start? And, and why do you think that's like, that's you to your core? I mean, it's a mix of things. I mean, I'll give you two answers. The simple answer is because I don't want to work. Like, I don't want to work for anybody <laughs> in contemporary sense. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just hit me very early. It was like, oh, I can't, I can't spend my whole life just working. Like, I, I can't right. do that. But if you're helping others, you'll always be taken care of. That's my belief. Uh, but then, you know, as a relatively egotistical, I suppose, high school kid, excelled in sports, all that. I had to do a community service immersion trip in Camden, New Jersey, which was one of the poorest spots at the time. It's getting better. You know, then this was 2006, I guess. And I went to a Jesuit high school. So in order to go from junior to senior year, you have to do an immersion experience in which you go for a couple of weeks to some part, a couple of weeks, maybe it was a month, two to four weeks where you go and spend time in an area of the United States that needs help. So you go and live there, you engage in the community and you, you volunteer. So the Jesuit philosophy is being a man for others. While I was there, we had to eat below the poverty line. We had to go volunteer in the homeless shelters, all these things. And I was like, yo, this is fucked up. Like, this is crazy to me that these things are, are, are happening. But at the base level, it was very crazy to me that individuals' health had just been taken away from them and that there was nothing that we could do, that nothing that people were actively doing to change it, whether it was on a, on a, on a small scale and a large scale, it's a little bit of a different discussion. That's why I think, you know, civic duty is so important, but from that point on, and from my further experiences also in college, you know, I, I had a fellowship with nutritional development services in the city of Philadelphia and we're and giving summer meals to kids. Cause a lot of kids who are out of school can't eat, you know, food insecurity, uh, very real. This was probably in 2010. 
And just doing that 2011 and just doing that and understanding more about it, I just thought to myself, I can't just simply live life to go to work and I can't simply live life not to help in some small way, whatever it may be. I can't fix everything, but I can fix something. And I don't want to work my whole life, but I understand my life has to have a component of work. So combining those two things, I want to help people improve their health. I want to use my acumen to the best of my ability to work with whatever I say other companies, including my own, is more of an entrepreneurship model, like a special ops team that, you know, affords me more time to also be able to live my life. And I feel best when I'm helping others. And that just makes me feel good, to be honest. That's awesome. I love that. Um, the last conversation I ever had with my grandfather was basically him telling me what the meaning of life was. And he said, um, I think that life is all about leaving the world a better place than when you entered it. And so what you're doing and what you're describing is the epitome of um, at least what he determined to be the meaning of life. A pretty wise guy. So I figure uh, he might be onto something there. Um, yeah, shout out to I, I do love that. And I, I feel the same way. Um, I work, I work for a company, but, um, I feel like what I do is also helping others and it's, I don't see it as work because everything is about helping find, helping somebody find a better answer and a better way and a better f way to feel and fuel and, and live. And it's such a privilege to like have this as what we do for work. Like it's not, you know, sitting a nine to five and punching the clock and not giving a shit about um, the output. It's like, I feel it. I live it. You feel it. You yeah. live it. And um, it's a, it's a tough balance because the more you work in this mode, like the more people you help and you have to at some point take care of yourself and not, overdo it for yourself so that you can be of service to others. So you do have a lot going on. One of the questions or, or topics that I like to discuss on the podcast is balance and how to juggle and, uh, and manage it all. So um, is this something that you've struggled with? Is this something that you actively work on? How do you, how do you manage all of the, all of the, uh, the irons you've got going in the fire? Yeah, I mean, I got a lot of advice coming up. It was easy, easy. Sometimes people told me I was rowing too many boats. Some, sometimes people told me I needed to slow down, do this. Sometimes people told me to go harder. I take a balance of it. Like, to be honest, there's a few things that you hit on. One, even if you're working a nine to five or you're not. My challenge, which I've, which I've even given to myself, which I've realized probably in the past 24 to 36 months, is like we're all safe. And this is what I don't think people understand. We're all safe. You're safe. And you get to work a good job where you're helping people. Financially, you're probably relatively stable, probably relatively have your health. You're not in danger, right? You're not in Fallujah. You're not in, in an area that is too downtrodden. You, you know, you have, you're safe. And my challenge then becomes to an extent is what I had to realize is first, break out of the game, break out of the thought process that this is so important and you're super stressed and you have to do this, you have to do that. Basically redu reducing my alice allostatic load which was like stop putting so much excess pressure on myself because a culture is telling me that's what i'm meant to do which is just simply work it's like hold up i'm safe i cannot work another day in my life and still figure out a way to enjoy my life so at the end of the day that means i'm good right so i'm like okay so with this concept of taking balance into play my thought process is hold up 
can there really be balance in the same way? Let's talk about running, right? A balanced training plan is what, right? It's probably, uh, technically would be, I would do 33% of low intensity, 33% of medium intensity, 33% of high intensity. But does science typically say that's the best way to train in a balanced training plan is no, right? So what I've tried to look at more so is equilibrium and, and, and taking a performance route, which is when I go hard, I need to go hard. You know, so let's say the 80-20 perception that a lot of people have with running 80% low, 20% high. When I go hard, I go hard. When I need to go low, I'm going to go low. So a lot of the times what people do is that when they should be relaxing, they're, they're, they don't because they either feel guilty or they feel they need to go harder. This is both for running and life. Um, but before getting too theoretical, my thing was, my, my thought process is, one, understand the difference between homeostasis and allostasis. I'm never going to do anything to my body that, of course, changes the set ranges that are needed to basically function. But what I will do is that I will stress myself enough so that when I need to deal with the hardships of the world, I'll be ready for that. And then I'll set aside time to relax. So to make that more real is, I think there are three main stressors that you need to take into account, physical, emotional, mental, and your environmental. And then if I could, in how I recover is, I engage in practices that change my environment that I'm in. I like to spend time in nature, I have to set time aside for that. I change my mental and emotional state. So I meditate. I try to set aside time for that. You know, we've been we've been programmed to believe that meanings are more important than meditation, which is crazy. And then physically, I either train myself to be able to deal with stressors, say a hard track workout, or I, tr- I take time off. So basically is you have to set your schedule. Set the schedule for your life. Like right now I'm in Aruba. And you're like, people are probably like, oh, you're lucky doing this, doing that. Yes, I'm for sure very lucky, but right now I'm in Aruba because of what I'm basically doing. I've set the time aside, which I previously didn't do in the past. And basically what I'm doing is that I'm basically just having a personal company offsite. I'm taking time for myself. And it's the best thing that I've learned from working with big companies. They have offsites. They basically shut everything down and take time for their teams to recover or understand their goals. So that's what I think everybody should do. You don't have to go anywhere, but you could you know, set aside time at your home, at your apartment. And then set aside time for the wellness strategies that you know will take care of you. And that's how I look at it. Because in the beginning, I was trying to do too much. I was, I was on the verge of burnout. My body was giving out on me a little bit. And, you know, sometimes you come out of the other as a side of the fire well. But, you know, I implore everyone to not think that rest is, is slovenly. But rest can be revolutionary if you do take the time to actually go hard when you should. Life is what takes hard work. Don't run from that. But life doesn't always have to be hard work. Wow, that was I love that. I'm like taking notes here of the little sound bites to cut out and 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 use as quotes later. Um, so yeah, to your point, um, the environmental breaks or the the changes or the rest periods are so essential. Like we do it in running, but so few people actually do it in life. So I booked this um, two month trip to Colorado back in October. And I was like burned out because I was working all the time because I was just bored. Like I wasn't seeing anybody um, physically and I was living by myself. And again, like I was safe, but I was bored and I was I was just working all the time because I literally had nothing else to do. Um, I get to Colorado in February and I spend like the first weekend entirely outside, like didn't, 
didn't spend a minute indoors, like from like 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. And Monday morning rolls around. I'm like, let's fucking go. It's time yeah. to work. And I felt yeah. I felt so good and ready to work so much so that like our CEO was commenting and our, my manager was commenting on like, you feel different. You seem different. And I was like, because yeah, I'm in a place of balance. Yeah, yeah. You got those negative high odds. Like, you know, nature heals. This is what you hit on is basically, you know, you were, you know, when you had overtraining, when you spend too much time doing, you know, medium intensity work to high intensity work, you get tired, you feel weird, you're not bouncing back. And man does not, man or woman or they does not exist in a vacuum, right? You exist within a context. And to think that your environment both, you know, real outside and the, and the environment of your feelings doesn't have an impact on who you are is a very hubris-filled thought process. So take time. I'm glad you felt that way. And look at that. After a weekend, imagine after a week, imagine after scheduling a weekend every month instead of after <laughs> months, you know what I'm saying? A year, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, it's crazy. Yeah, it's it's... It's incredible. And, and it's so simple at the end of the day. It's like weekends or nights or just go outside for 15 minutes. I mean, there there is so much science that backs up these anecdotal experiences that we're having and talking about to say that 15 minutes outside in the sun, uh, in the middle of your day, like you come back and you feel better. Um, so we get to a place where now companies and and these wellness companies are are talking about working less so that you get you know happier employees but also you know at the end of the day better output um you look at whoop they are um they they insist that their employees don't show up for work or don't work when they haven't slept enough um i saw an article about that uh i feel like you know those guys over there at whoop um, yeah, I know. Well, I used to work with them a little bit. Yeah, I mean, they're basically, you know, workplace productivity is is contingent upon how recovered someone is. I think they're offering right. like a hundred dollars per month for everybody that hits their sleep need. I mean, to be honest, I wear those things in stages. There is the Guardian had an interesting article about it back in 2019 or 18. Like, I'm one of those people that if you I constantly wear it, I get anxiety. I can't do it. Um, and I'm focused too much on metrics instead of process. Um, but yeah, I think if people need to trust the process, not to, you know, take, uh, what's his name, Embiid's philosophy, <laughs> but like things that are simple are not always easy. But if you set the structure for those simple things to come, it becomes easy. Most people don't have wellness structures placed around them. But I think anybody that is either middle class or above, call a spade a spade, you have no excuse. You, there's no, the, the social determinants are not negatively impacting. For you, it's a choice. And I think like, especially for class solidarity, people who have the ability to partake in taking care of themselves absolutely should. And if you don't, there's honestly no excuse. And I think we just have to be honest about that now. Now, when you look at, you know, lower class and people who do not have enough money or education or access, we have to be a champion for them. But to be honest, I am just tired of people who should be taking care of themselves that don't. It's unfair. It's not right. And, you know, I think it's just relatively selfish. And that's why, you know, I personally try to make it as easy as possible. I'm like, yo, here's some exercise snacks. I don't have to be doing that. 
I do that shit for free. I'm like, but like, come on, like, let's go. <laughs> so, so somebody who is listening to this and they're, they're saying like, wow, Joe is talking to me right now. Like I've been making excuses for the last year in the pandemic or the last few years prior to this with mental health and physical health and, and, and emotional health, letting things slip. What's, what's step one and step two of, of bucking that trend? Step one is decide. A decision is the foundation of action. I found a therapist in an hour after procrastinating for a year because I decided to do it. Right. I'm not, I'm not a David Goggins guy. Bless him. I love David. I love Jesse. I'm not calling you a, a bit, a, a B. I'm not calling you a soft, a punk. I'm just simply saying decision is a foundation of action. We do things because oftentimes we don't have to decide. We've been told we should go to work. Somebody decided that for us. We were told we had to go to school. Somebody decided that for us. So when you want to take care of you, the first thing is make a decision. That's what I say. Second step is build your team out. It's not even a focus on you, woe is me. Build your team. That could be hiring someone, but that could also be a support staff. That could be your friends. That could be your family. That could be a digital group. And that could find the tools that are necessary. Right. And then it's set up the environment. Don't know what it is that you have that you're going to do. Just set aside the time to do it. So, for instance, this is called instigation habits. Don't say, all right, I have to know the exact type of meditation I'm going to do. Just simply say, okay, I know for 10 minutes every day when that alarm goes off, I'm just going to put my phone away. I'm just going to sit. I'm just going to sit on the couch. I don't have to know my tempo of breathing. I don't have to know a mantra. I'm just simply going to say, I'm going to put the time aside. In the same way, it's, all right, I don't need to have a training plan built out. But it's like, okay, for 30 minutes at the end of the day, you know, I put my running shoes by the door. I'm going to go walk or jog or do something. And then from there, you make it more formulaic. But yeah, those are my three tips. It's decide, it's support staff, and then it's instigate. And once you do that, I think then you kind of get on a, a little bit of, you know, rote memorization. You know, I don't know. A lot of people think I'm healthy because I'm gifted or have this. Yeah, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm gifted with my health, but I have a lot of aches. I have a lot of pain. I did it because I set up an environment for my best results. I know I'm lazy, right? I know. I don't like to always clean up. So I know at the end of the day, I'm like, all right, 30 minutes, you got to clean up. It doesn't matter. I'm, I know I don't like to respond to emails. These are my things that are not, that are basically like hard. When people say, oh, it's hard for me to work out. Like there are areas in life like that for everyone. But I think if you just set up the environment and set a schedule, that's the easiest way to get it done. You know how I finish books? I say I'm going to read a chapter every day. I don't say I'm going to finish this book. I just read a chapter every day. And then you're done. That's it. Yeah, you don't need an elephant in one bite. <laughs> yes, yes. It's <laughs> summation. It's just like, come on, y'all. The time's going to pass anyway. It's like, what are we really doing? What are we, honestly? <laughs> yeah, I think the stasis um, or um, or just lack of – I saw a tweet yesterday. I think it said – you can choose to be comfortable or you can choose to grow. And I think that's exactly it. It's like most of us can choose one or the other. And if you want to grow and, and break you know, out of a routine, you have to get uncomfortable. Um, one of the ones I'll, that, push back, I'll push back against that because I know people always say this, like growth never occurs outside of your comfort zone. Growth occurs – exactly within your comfort zone. The key is to have a short-term period 
in right. which you expand your comfort zone. A discomfort, yeah. Yeah, like very short discomfort. But the key is to not always be uncomfortable. The key is to expand your comfort zone so you're achieving while you're comfortable. That's what flow state right. is. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it's like – Yeah, so we're we're not taking, you know, uh, massive risks every every five minutes. But, you know, maybe every so often you, you do something different. Yeah, for sure. You of course, Yes, yes, it's, you know. But I think that's why people get scared because, you know, you log on to Instagram and you see some ripped guy doing backflips off a log or some guy with a weight vest running 10 miles. And it's just (laughs) like, what the fuck is this? Honestly, excuse my language. But it's just like, what is this? This is not how people get healthy. The huge difference between health, fitness and performance. And at the end of the day, people need to understand you could be completely comfortable taking care of yourself. And that's what I want people to understand. Thanks again to Super Coffee for supporting this episode. I have been loving their French vanilla and hazelnut flavors and the cold brew cans. Super Coffee combines the caffeine from two cups of coffee with protein and healthy fats to give you hours of focused energy with no jitters or crash. I love it as a strong start to the day. Receive 15% off of your purchase at drinksupercoffee.com FTLR or use the code FTLR at checkout. I recommend trying one of their variety packs or bundles. If you give it a try, let me know what you think. And now back to our conversation. One of the areas of health that you just mentioned that you said you put off for a while, um, you said you recently got a therapist. Um, Mental health is something I like to talk about on this podcast. Um, I started seeing a therapist in 2018, and the first time I talked about it i posted on instagram and literally 100 people replied saying i see a therapist too and 900 people saw that story so one one out of nine people volunteered the information that they were also seeing a therapist and i was like damn if 100 out of 900 people said that they're doing it probably half are so where did (laughs) where did your interest in uh in expanding or or improving your own mental health come from and and what was the what was the piece that sort of pushed you over the edge to to take that step i mean these are all great questions uh you know i've always been fascinated i think with the human condition and i remember in college we had a sports psychologist well first off you know i battled depression when i got hurt playing football at upenn and that's what i realized something was off so i had to figure out a way to bounce back I didn't use a therapist then. I tried, but I didn't really like my therapist, which is relatively common, I suppose. But getting out of it again by dealing with my injuries and eating a little bit better, I kind of got over the hump slightly. But then I always, I've always been intrigued about the, the difference between, I think, mental mindsets for performance and mental mindsets for, you know, more so for therapy, although they are intertwined. There are also like sport performance orientations for, for, for like meditations and mentality. And then on the other side, there is more so therapy. Um, but, you know, I realized that you know, the, only, the main place that I live every day, no matter if I'm at somewhere beautiful, I, you know, I would be at great places. I wouldn't be enjoying myself. I'd be tense. I'd be anxious. And I realized, like, the ultimate home is my mind. So I needed to find ways to take care of that. So at the end of 2018, you know, I took a little bit of a trip, a sabbatical, for, I guess the first time. I spent some time in Australia. 
And I just really wanted to get improve my mental health. And I said to myself, yo, like, just build your team out. Like, you need a therapist. As the responsibilities started piling up, you know, I realized, like, I can't do my work on my own. I can't take care of my body on my own. And so basically for me, mental uh, therapy is a... It's just physical therapy for my mind. In the same way, you know, I have a physical therapist work on my body. I have a mental health expert work on my mind and, you know, massage out, get to the get to the grounding issues that might be there and just as an accountability partner. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if that distinctly answered your question as to when it became important to me, but I just know I can't take the next step forward or continue to move forward unless I really take care of my mental state. For sure. Yeah. Lexi Pappas put it in a similar way saying, uh, um, mental health is like a scratch on the brain and, and you, you work with a, with a doctor or a physical therapist for a physical ailment. So why not the same thing for a mental ailment? It's the same thing. Yeah, precisely. And it doesn't have to be, there's not necessarily even something wrong with you all the time, right? right. It's just like, if you could be a little bit better, why not? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, so I started seeing a therapist for a very specific reason and then it got to a point where it was like, okay, we've worked through that. Um, I've got the tools that I need to navigate what I needed to navigate and now it's just like maintenance and like we go see a doctor every year to check in on our physical health and make sure our blood work is normal and all this stuff. Um, so again, it's like the same thing for your for your brain, just another body part. Yeah. I agree. Um, so switching gears a little bit, um, another topic I like to discuss with um, people who have done interesting things or are doing interesting things is um, the idea of success. So I'm curious, what what does success mean uh, to you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, you know, I'll give the practical answer and I'll give the aspirational answer. Practically, it means financially independent, retire early. I'm one of those people that, you know, believes in a fire philosophy. I don't want to spend my whole life working. Uh, for me, yeah, it's just being financially independent, being smart with my money, making sure I feel okay, okay to well for the most part. And I want to retire early. This is something I want to live life. Like I want to really explore it because I think from a very early age, I was always working. I got a job early. I was involved in sports. I was uh, in school, all that stuff. But I didn't really look at, I didn't really experience it from an enjoying aspect. It was something that I did and I was just expected to excel at it. So I took it so seriously. But in my adult years, like I think I'm trying to relive my kid, my kid years. So to an extent, I just want to, I just want to play. Like, honestly, I just want to play. So, yeah. so that's what success is to me um, in that sense. But also success to me is, you know, as your grandpa stated, I think of, I like, I'm into the thought process that everybody, the world is contingent upon t technically somebody's mind, right? So you have the greater world, whatever, the collective consciousness. But if I can just improve people's worlds, even if they're just individual, and I can be successful. So if along the way, you know, of course, you know, hopefully I'm, I'm taking in abundance in multiple forms and I have my health. But if along the way I'm in changing the way you think, I'm changing your health, I'm, 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 I'm helping you in some way and inspiring you if possible, but also making a, 
practical for you. So it's just changing individuals' worlds. I can't change the whole world. I can't. I, I didn't consent to this existence. There's a lot of things outside of my control. But I can, along the way, change somebody else's day, change somebody else's year, change somebody else's life, whether that's saying hello to somebody as they're walking down, whether it's even if I don't have change, you know, respecting the humanity of the homeless guy as he as he asked me for change and just telling him, hopefully you have a good day, giving back, volunteering, giving out information for free, open sourcing stuff. I think that's a form of community service. Simple ways to just hopefully improve someone's life and or inspire you to find a way to do that. I don't care if you work out with me or not. I don't care. But if you if you're like, oh, shit, I kind of like this guy, but I don't really want to run. And you go and work out with somebody else and you improve the health of your life. That's all I can ask for. I've done my job. So success for me also is just changing a few people's minds and hopefully a few people's lives along the way. There's a there's a Jewish saying that I've referenced on the podcast before. Uh, save one life, save a world entire. So you can ad lib it a little bit. Impact one life, impact a world entire. And it's the idea that um, every individual's life is just as meaningful as the next person's. And if you're able to improve one person's life that's a that's a whole world and that's yeah. their whole experience and i think that's uh i think that's aspirational and and encouraging that like that's the goal the goal is to help one person or two people not 10 million people or 100 million people but maybe i can you know what i'm saying because at the end of the day like right, I've right, right. infrastructures right like I work with Nike, luckily. I work with Dyson. You know, I work with many companies. And if I get GQ, if I can spread information in a meaningful way that helps people change, because at the end of the day, I also look at it this. I log on or I, you know, social media account. There's somebody out there every day, give or take, that looks forward to what I'm going to put out. That looks forward to it. I wait, there's, there's people, you know, I do exercise snacks lives a couple times a week and, you know, however many people show up, it doesn't matter. But if there's 50 people show up twice a week for that and then more on their own, I'm changing somebody's life just by just by being open with the way that I live my life. And I don't take that for granted. I used to just shrug it off. I used to just be like, this is whatever. I can't believe people even follow me. Da, da, da. <laughs> and I, I don't even say this with a sense of hubris, but I'm like, damn. I've been given, for whatever reason I am here, and for whatever reason people are sometimes inspired by what it is that I'm doing, and if I could also give that to you in an applicable way, I'm changing someone's life. I'm changing, you know, and that's special, and that's special to me. But I look at it now is uh, it's a little bit rambling, I guess. But like, I just want to help my family. I want to help my friends, and then I want to help the people out there that are consuming the information that I might put out. And to me, that's a life well lived. What would uh, what would Joe of fifteen years ago say or think about Joe of today? And then the second part of that question is, what would Joe of today say to that guy? Damn, that's a good question, Jay. Sixteen uh, year old self wouldn't even recognize me, man. Um, but he would say, like, yo, he would. I what he would say to me now is like, yo, like. I, and I guess this answers the second question. Like, yo, how do I, how do I just calm down? Like, what is it? Like, what is important? And I think at that age, I was super in 
this is weird, but I, nobody told me I was good enough. I had a home. I, I was top 10 in my class in high school as a valedictorian. Um, I was a captain of my basketball team. I, you know, I was really good at football, too. But nobody told me. It was like, yo, Joe, you have these gifts. This is how I would help you get further. Everybody, I think, just thought I was a little cocky, so always really was intense with me. So I would tell that kid, like, yo, you're good at what you do. It's up to you if you want to be great. There's nothing wrong with you, but there is an opportunity for you to be great. Like, just find the people that help you to be great, but have a little bit of confidence in yourself. Um, that's what I would. That's what I would say to him, and I think that would help him a lot. But uh, yeah, I mean, sixteen-year-old self would just be like, yo, just, just. Yeah, how do I calm down? Like, what is it that you've learned that has helped you calm down? Where did that confidence come from? That you are enough and you are good and and you have the ability to to do what you want to do. I mean, confidence is an interesting word. I think it just became worrying less about public opinion. I mean, you know, the circles I'm in. You know, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm hopping around fashion weeks. I'm I'm in the public eye. I'm, I'm doing photo shoots, this and that. But it was like, there it was the second where I was like, yo, like, one, fall in love with really the work, you know, the, the spotlight is not the work. And then secondly, it's like, just look at some of the stuff you've done. And not to say that's what matters, but it's a confidence that I think has come through in inner realizations where I sat down and had really hard, uncomfortable conversations with myself. Like even on this trip, right, what it really is, is me having conversations that I work for myself to an extent. I'm still working on doing other things, but it starts with me. The confidence has come from having hard conversations with myself that only I know. And every, I, you know, Jay, you could come on, you can say, Joe, you're great. You're so inspirational. My mom could call me and say, you're doing great. I'm so proud of you. My brother, whatever, a, a girl, a girl I'm dating, you know, I always have one foot in, one foot out somewhere. Uh, I could always be... <laughs> Somebody could always tell you, but only in your heart of hearts have you, you need to have that conversation with yourself to come to terms with the things that you've done, the things you need to improve, but also from just a state, I think, of, of love. And this sounds super weird, all right? I don't know if people out there are esoteric or anything like that, but I'm going to give you a really weird story, right? This was a breakthrough moment for me. I went to a meditation class in New York. Sometimes, I, you know, it was like a grungy meditation class, not one of those, you know, super pretty ones. Like this meditation studio, uh, it's not even a studio, maybe it's a Buddhist spot. Um, have been around for, it's been around for a while. I go to a class, I'm sitting there meditating and I, and I get in a, I get in a vibe, right? And I see myself, I see 18 year old Joe and I start crying and I forgive him and I forgive him. I'm like, yo, because in my heart, I always felt I should have been a pro athlete or a doctor. But I saw him in my mind's eye and I forgave him. And I had a little bit of a breakthrough. This was probably 18 months ago. But what was crazy in the meditation class, guess what the meditation teacher said after I five to 10 minutes after I had that moment? She said, I want you to look at your 18-year-old self and forgive them. And that, <laughs> sh- that shit fucked me up. I was like... Yo, I think it's get out of my head. Yeah, I was like, what? But I think it's just been from having real, you know, conversation with myself, like just introspection, and you know, yeah, I don't know. And also, I will say, last thing on that is 
to an extent, you you just have to find them. There is someone else who has dealt with these same feelings that you have. And that's why I read so much. Because somebody else in in his lifeline of existence has has had these same feelings in some form. So if I could study from them, understand them, and distill it down into what's applicable for me. So reading has also helped me uh, get more confident. Um, that's super cool. I think the the self acceptance is interesting. Um, why was the why was the uh, expected track either a pro athlete or a doctor? Those are wildly different uh, experiences. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was good at sports growing up. I always thought that would be a way. And then my dad's a doctor. You know, my dad's you know my first role model. Um, and I just I just always liked medicine, playing around in my dad's doc- office, that type of thing. I mean, he practices more integrative medicine, so I think he kind of pushed me more sort towards like business just because he knew what he was doing was different and also hard. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Those were the two things that were always on my mind and I didn't become them. And, but then the, so the route, other route was like, yo, I have to find another way. And, you know, when you take a chance and you go out on a limb, I mean, I'm pretty sure you've known me since the health warrior days, like my world has changed. And, but that takes a lot of, that took a lot of risk risk at the time that I didn't fully know and, and risk now that I'm just fully understanding because I try to continue to uh, mature. Yeah. That was what? 2013. I feel like that was like, yeah, it was like 2014 years ago. 2014. Yeah. <laughs> That's wild. Crazy. Um, is gratitude something that you practice intentionally? Yeah. Um, you know, who randomly puts out really good articles around like mindfulness sometimes is ink is in one of the things that, I, that they put out, I read, was basically like, you don't have to pretend yourself into saying that life is great, but you can wake up every day and make a decision whether you're going to see life from a position of abundance or scarcity, right? So I just wake up every day and I try to be, I try to like really see the see the world. I've, I think I'm pulled in so many directions that it's very hard for me sometimes to be in the moment. So there is something that I like called the Maui principle, which is like when you wake up and put your feet on the ground, you don't have to imagine you're in Maui, but it's like to get that feeling, just say three, three things you're grateful for. That's it. Make them concrete. You know, I mean, you know, I've been dealing with knee tendonitis that's getting better. And I'm like, I'm grateful my knee feels good today. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for whatever, just basic things. Right. And that has definitely helped me uh, see, see the world. So I think you do have to practice gratitude um and that is something that i do engage in cool um so i've had the the pleasure of interviewing i don't know over 100 professional and elite athletes on this podcast and along the way i have started asking certain questions or discovering or discussing certain topics and it's fascinating to to catch some of the consistencies and commonalities of elites and professionals and Olympians and like what is this mindset that allows people to be successful and very very often or very infrequently they're focused on any sort of tangible outcome and it's always it's always the mental game that that seems to allow people to figure out how to get better 
And it's it, I, it started with I've now referenced this conversation, I don't know, 20 times. But I asked Vanessa Frazier, who's a um, Nike athlete on uh, the Bowerman Track Club. I was like, what is what is success? Fast forward five years. What are you really proud of? And here's an athlete who's training to go to the Olympics. And she doesn't say anything about the Olympics. She just says getting better. And I found that 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 process oriented outcome, which you talked about earlier, and uh, a focus on gratitude are the two biggest commonalities of successful people, particularly successful athletes. I also like to have successful professionals, you know, in the in the industry on as well. And it's true for them, too. So I think it's it's encouraging to hear it from you. It's encouraging to hear from all these athletes over and over and over again that like the numbers are not the the metrics that matter. It's are you checking the boxes daily? I have a friend who has a tattoo on his thigh that says fun and he wants to check the fun box every day. And you were talking about yeah. fun earlier today uh, in this conversation. And I had a conversation with Aisha Pratlier, who's a, a Puma professional athlete. And she's like, I'm 30 years old. If I wasn't having fun every day, you know, in, in running, I wouldn't still be doing this. And so I think that these are like the, the trio of, characteristics that allow this process oriented outcome to thrive. So I'm curious, um, given you and your experiences, is there maybe a fourth or another component that you've seen um, to be consistent with people who have achieved objective levels of success or, or subjective levels of success? Yeah. Um, those are all super important, but what I also think is important is to, Define the rule book as it exists for you, not as how you've been told it is. So at the end of the day, you have to sometimes suspend belief and create a reality that is contingent upon your gifts and the environment in which you are in, right? So it's like the Albert Einstein thing. If you ask a fish to fly, it's not going to be successful. So the thing that I think is also important is like people always think, oh, I can't, I can't do that. It doesn't make sense. It is that. It's like... You have to realize, I think, the special sauce a little bit for everything is you, and it's dependent upon the context that's with your in, which you're in. So do you need to change your context, or do you need to change slightly who you are to succeed? And then as you hit earlier, I think it's principles. I think it's really engaging in the day-to-day activities that'll that'll lead you kind of that'll lead you forward. And if you do that, if you think about, I believe it's consistence over persistence. I used to be super basically persistent. I would rely on my talent instead of my positive habits. And that's what I think, especially as you age, right? You see that with LeBron, you see that, you know, with Kobe, RIP. You have to realize you're going to have to constantly reinvent yourself to utilize your skill sets to the best results. And then you're really just going to have to apply it. Like you're going to have to do weird shit, like fall in love with your idiosyncrasies. I think everybody who is special does that. And I've worked, I've been able to work with a lot of people in the game. And a lot of them are so weird. I will tell you that. <laughs> they are weird. To be good, to great, at, or exceptional at what you do, there are certain things that you are going to have to do that are absolutely weird but work for you. Fall in love with it. Fall in love with it. And that's your design practice, right? That's your, that's your special swoosh. That's your swoosh. That's your three stripes. That's what your whatever. But until you're completely ready, especially if you want to do something that's different, you have to fall in love with your oddities. And once you learn to accept that, you'll flourish. What are your oddities? 
I'm weird. Like I like I'm by myself. I'm here. I'm like, and people are like, yo, what are you doing? What are you going to do for your birthday? Da, 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 da. I mean, my brother's in town. He's at a different house. He's been here for like a month and a half. I'm like, yo, I'm going to spend time by myself. And they're like, what? And people used to always look at me weird when I would want to do that. Right. But I'm like, yo, this is what makes me tick. I spend time by myself. I need time to recharge. There's certain habits that I have, like I talk to myself in a third person because that's a study tactic that allows you to problem solve better. And I know it works for me. I fall in love with that. Like there's just certain odd things that I do that work. And I'm like, if I want to live life differently, there are certain things that are different that I'm going to have to do. But of course, you know, I'm not insane. At least I hope not. But even if I am, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. It's working all for a, you. <laughs> yeah, this is all a fever dream. I'll take it. <laughs> um what i love that um i could just picture you just sitting in in the in the big empty house you're talking to yourself in the third person being like we're gonna have a good day today joe my knees are feeling good gonna go for my run and it's gonna be a good day sky's sky's blue (laughs) trick yourself to greatness (laughs) yeah um talk to me a little bit about the the coaching that you do um, through Nike and through through some other some other platforms. Yeah, I mean, in terms of coaching, uh, you know, I think COVID has changed a few things. But I was, you know, in 2014 and 15, group classes were really big, right? But I came from a football area where, of course, it's a group, but you were really performance oriented and one on one curated journeys. So that's where I really cut my teeth was. I would take people on one-on-one journeys, especially for Nike in terms of concierge fashion, and there would be tangible outcomes, right? So whether it be stress reduction, whether it be aesthetic-based or running. I took the step. I work with a lot of models, and I know it's 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 weird, but um, basically models are similar to athletes that they rely on their body for their jobs. There's an aspect of their stuff that might not be health-promoting. It has to be performance-promoting, so they need to look good, but you also have, always have to keep them healthy. So basically with coaching in that way, I would take athletic principles and apply them to that. And then also for running, you know, I worked with Steve Finley, who's a really good coach, uh, Brooklyn Track Club. I worked on Project Moonshot with him. I was really intrigued about how do we make runners better? Because we have to look at it. While you talk to elite runners, most people who are engaged in running are not elite. Right. And they don't have that good of an athletic foundation. So the key was, can we bulletproof? Basically what I specialize is athletic, agnostic, bulletproofing, which is I will improve your athletic base. And a lot of the times as it pertains to running to make you better. So that's typically how, how I like to approach it is, and is my, in my coaching style. So um, it's been super fun. I've coached multiple people to do marathons. I've coached, of course, you know, some of the most beautiful people in the world, train them. Um, but now, you know, I recently dropped a master class. I still have myself on a Nike training app, but I'm really focused on now is like, finding that middle ground to get, of course, more people healthy, but also educated around different wellness strategies. Because a lot of a lot of my stuff isn't just around physical activities, like how we treat the mind, how do we recover, how do we eat? And I just think people need a foundational wellness education. Yeah, I, th- I think that makes a ton of sense. It's uh, it's less about the the high end and top end and and getting, you know, the exact perfect workout and more about uh, Ben Bergeron says do the common uncommonly well Um, so you mentioned you know bulletproofing the training for for amateurs what are your for those who are listening probably 90 percent 
of whom are amateurs, um, what are your your you know three bulletproof techniques? Sleep, man. Fall in love with sleep, yo. Have but this is the key. In the same way people skip the cool down for running, they skip the cool down for the day. And that's not just you can't improve your sleep once you're already in bed. From dusk to and sunset to the time you're going to take for bed, figure out, that's what I call the cool down period. Figure out the strategies that will improve your sleep. So whether that's reducing artificial light, whether that is tea, whether that is a light stretch to reduce, you know, cortisol that might be up, uh, whether that's taking supplements, figure out what works for you to get good sleep. And that was, that was a game changer for me. I was getting no REM or slow wave sleep. And I was like, what is going on? And I took some time to figure that out and got it back up to healthy levels. And that has made me feel completely different. Um, also, the other thing that I will say is, you know, have a prehab. Really fall, understand your prehab. You know? So especially if your runners understand how low intensity exercise benefits you, understand how to foam roll, understand how to do the, the pre basic prehab exercises that will go a super long way. Um, and then eat. What a lot of people don't understand is this. The more active you are, the more – and both active in terms of work and fitness, right? If you're working, your brain consumes a lot of energy. If you're working out as well, then your body starts to consume it. Really, you have to eat more food. So the thought process that we've often gotten into, especially nutrient-dense food, is like we've looked at it from such an aesthetic space that a lot of people work out so they don't have to eat or think of working out as a reward. I'm like, please figure out your nutritional strategies. That those make your workouts like a lot easier. And then you know you get into the nitty gritty, the training plans, training peaks, all that stuff. But really, eating, uh, eating, sleep, and prehab, I think, are really the big three. Awesome. I, those are those are the definitely the fundamentals. Um, I think sleep is uh, finally starting to get the recognition it deserves, and we see so many sleep products out there and so many. Uh, um, like a couple of years ago, I read an article. I was like, I forget what it was. Basically the, the, the concept was like, whoever makes sleep sexy is going to win. And I don't know that the, we're, I don't know that we're there yet. Maybe it's Casper and you know, all these purple mattress companies sell, selling nicer mattresses, but you still gotta, you still gotta actually set yourself up for success there. Um, Joe, I could go on for hours uh, talking about all this with you, but um, for those who who want to follow along with your adventures, where can we find you on uh, on social? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm at uh, at Joe Holder, then an underscore on Instagram at Matt Ocho System, and then also at Exercise Snacks if you're just really trying to get active and understand that end. So. Um, yeah, appreciate it. Keep up. And yeah, I appreciate the chat, Jay. Of course, likewise. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next time on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too. 